This episode of Check the Locks is brought to you by our friends at Great Lakes Kids Apparel. That's right. Great Lakes Kids Apparel offers affordable, wearable, and playable clothes for your little one to enjoy. Plus, Great Lakes Kids Apparel is a mom-owned business, so you know your kids will love these clothes. And Great Lakes Kids Apparel offers fast, free shipping on orders over $50, not to mention amazing customer service. So head over to GreatLakesKidsApparel.com or click the link in the show description and use promo code LOCKS to get 20% off your first order today. This episode of Check the Locks is brought to you by our friends at Audible. Audible is your one-stop shop for audio entertainment where you can always find the best of what you love or discover something new. That's right. Audible offers an incredible selection of audiobooks across every genre, from mysteries, thrillers, biographies, and of course, true crime. And as an Audible member, you can choose one title a month from their catalog to keep forever, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. Audible members also get access to thousands of podcasts from popular favorites, exclusive new series, and this very podcast you're listening to now. Plus, the Audible app makes it easy to listen anytime, anywhere. While traveling, working out, walking the dog, doing chores, Audible makes listening anywhere easy. And best of all, Check the Locks listeners can try Audible for free for 30 days. So head over to audibletrial.com slash check the locks or click the link in the show notes to start enjoying Audible today. Warning, Check the Locks podcast is a true crime podcast and may contain graphic descriptions of violence, murder, sexual assault, and more. Check the Locks podcast is not appropriate for all listeners. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Welcome back to Check the Locks podcast. As always, I'm John Connor. And I'm Olivia Cornu. Saying thank you for joining us this week as we dive into yet another truly terrifying true crime case. Before we get started, as always, Olivia, how are you? It's great to see you. Thank you for hanging out with me. I'm doing really good. How are you? I'm doing good. It's uh, been a busy day. I have to be at the airport at three in the morning. So Worked all day and then have been packing, and now we're doing the podcast. So my flight leaves at 6, flying to Michigan uh, for a quick weekend trip. So doing good, tired, and <laughs> just uh, ready to, to kind of get there and get settled in. So how was the wedding? I know you went to a wedding over the holiday holiday weekend. Yeah, I was going to say I'm feeling you on being burned. I feel exhausted right now. I feel like I am in a sleep deficit of like two days worth of sleep. Um, but the wedding was probably hands down the best wedding that I've ever been to. So shout out to Ashley and Sarah, but it was so fun. It was at a summer camp and every day there was an agenda. We played, um, relay races and kickball and capture the flag and tube down the Delaware river and then got my friends married. So had a good weekend, very tired, came right back to work. And, uh, here we are. Yeah. Uh, we had a wedding as well. So congratulations to Cody and Hannah. Uh, Mr. and Mrs. Loftus, uh, but it's the same thing. The rehearsal was on Sunday. The wedding was on Monday and then, you know, right back to work on Tuesday. And because of this Michigan trip, it's working 10 hour days. So it's 
it's been a long week, but I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to be podcasting, happy to hang out with you. And this week is your episode. You're bringing a story. I'm excited to hear about it. Do you think we should just kind of jump on into the chaos of the story that you brought this week? Yeah, so I actually haven't heard of this story. And maybe it was just because I didn't have cable or was just in college. I don't really know. I mean, I don't really know where I was in 2011. I think just really studying hard in college. And so the news wasn't the top of my like to-do list. And so I didn't hear about this case. And I actually got this just from one of the suggestions in the Facebook group. So this case is new to me, but it'll probably be familiar to some others. This week, I'm talking about the house party killer, Tyler Hadley. Oh, I think I might be familiar with this. And if it's the case that I think it is, I'm super excited to break it down with you. So bring it on. I'm super pumped to hear about it. On July 16th, 2011, it was just a regular day in the Hadley house. Mary Jo Hadley was sitting at her desk in the office working and her husband, Blake Hadley, in the living room on the couch. But just in the room next door, their son, Tyler Hadley, plotting the murder of his parents. Tyler Hadley walks into the office and stands behind his mother for five minutes before bludgeoning Mary Jo to death with a hammer. As Tyler repeatedly hit his mother with the hammer, his father heard the commotion and rushed into the office. Asking his son why, Tyler proceeded to attack and murder his father as well. So I'm not going to ruin it yet, but I can tell you just from the first couple of lines of what you're giving me here, I have a feeling of where I'm going to rank this. So this is terrifying to me. Like when you were researching this, what were you thinking? I don't understand how someone could do this to their parents. I just don't, I don't understand. I couldn't imagine just like somebody walking in, standing behind me for five minutes and all of a sudden just hitting me in the back of the head with a hammer. I can't imagine somebody standing behind me for five minutes and me not noticing. Knowing, yeah. There's a video online of this couple who is watching Netflix on their couch, and they have a security camera in their living room. And on the stairwell, this dude had, like, climbed in the window, broke into their house, and was sitting on the top of the stairs, like, watching Netflix with him. And he was there for, like, ten minutes, and they they had no idea. And stuff like that, I'm like, "Mm, I think my spidey sense would be going off. Like, I'm like, something's not right. Yeah, I mean, just sitting right here, if I catch something out of the corner of my eye, I'm always looking. I'm sure you see me do that all the time. Yeah, I'm a fight or flight guy, so I'm always like, what's happening? Ready to go. Right. Let's talk about who Tyler Hadley is. Tyler was born December 16, 1993, to Blake and Mary Jo Hadley. He was a premature baby, just weighing 3 pounds and 10 ounces, which required a month-long stay in the hospital. Blake Hadley was a watch engineer at the St. Lucie Power Plant and Mary Jo was a school teacher at the St. Lucie County Elementary. Tyler also had an older brother named Ryan Hadley. As a child, family would have described Tyler as loving but withdrawn. He suffered from anxiety and depression. He had low self-esteem and would quit hobbies soon after starting them. At the age of 10, Tyler was being treated for depression. Age 11, he was reportedly vandalizing the neighborhood and skipping school. By 16, he was involving himself with drugs, using marijuana, Xanax, opioids, and ecstasy. Sounds like a lot of the kids I grew up with. I mean, you had raging parties and a murder across the street. Yeah, it's just, I knew a lot of kids like that who, especially when you're talking about like finding hobbies and kind of quitting them, you know, I think it's kind of a normal thing for a kid of that age to not really know what they want to do. And then it's easy, I think, to kind of fall into a group where you're accepted you know, and other kids who might feel the same way. And then you're smoking pot and I mean, I've never, you know, done Xanax or 
opioids or ecstasy or anything like that. But like, you know, even I can relate to this a little bit where it's like, you know, I just wanted to play music. I didn't care about school. I didn't care about anything else. So it's easy to kind of fall into these little, little groups or little subsects, I guess. Yeah. And as I was reading, it was quoted by his grandma um, that he just felt that he wasn't good enough at all of these things. I think one thing was saying he like learned to play the, uh, the trombone, but he would just quit because he just didn't feel good enough or at, at the same level as some of the other people his age. Sad. On the morning of July 16th, 2011, Tyler took his parents' cell phones and hid them. He locked up their black lab in the closet so as to not be a threat while he murdered his parents. Later that afternoon, Tyler made a Facebook post letting his friends know that there was a party at his house that evening. That party lasted until about 4 in the morning. There were about 50 people in attendance, one being Michael Mandel, Tyler's best friend. Michael remembers Tyler telling him that he killed his parents. In an interview, Michael said that he did not believe Tyler at first. Tyler told Michael the story and told him to stay behind after the party to see what he had done. Michael did not want to, and Tyler told him just look around the house and he would see the clues. The Hadleys' cars were both in the driveway and blood on the floor. So curious, Michael went during the party and looked in the Hadleys' master bedroom. There he saw bloody sheets and Blake Hadley's leg. In the wee hours of July 17th, Michael Mandel left an anonymous tip with Crime Stoppers reporting that his best friend, Tyler Hadley, had murdered his parents and he gave the address to where the Hadleys resided. That is insane. Imagine yourself being that friend where you're like, I'm at my best friend's house and he's like, hey, dude, I murdered my parents. And like, if you really look, you can tell what I did, you know, like that's yeah. a, a crazy scenario to tr like play out in your head. As I was researching, I was watching a couple like news interviews of Michael, and then there's a, a picture that's floating around, and it's a selfie that Michael took with Tyler at this party. And it was just saying that like this was likely the last picture that he would ever have uh, with his best friend. And so that picture is all over the internet. And so I just think it's a weird situation where like at first he doesn't believe his best friend could murder his parents, but then he does look around and see all the clues. And then what do you do with that information? Thankfully, Michael's a decent guy and, you know, left the tip with Crime Stoppers. Yeah, I mean, it would just be so conflicting. Because, you know, I'd still have my best friend from when I was a teenager. You know, I'm actually going to see him this weekend, you know. Yeah. And that's somebody that I, I love like a brother, like a, a family member. So, you know, if I was somewhere with him and he was like, hey, man, guess what I just did? It would be hard to not be conflicted. You know what I mean? And to not be like. I don't know. Should I say something? <laughs> yeah. And like, especially like, does Michael leave the party right away? You know, I didn't find out those specific details, but I mean, like, what do you do with that information when there's 50 people partying in a house and you know that there's two dead bodies in there? Yeah. Or like if I do leave the party right away and I do rat him out, what's going to happen to me? Cause these are his parents. You know what I mean? So it's right. And then their children, you know, they're 17, 16, 17, and they don't know what the repercussions are going to be. So if, so I get why Michael probably did it anonymously. Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, you don't want to be the person that's like, yeah, I, I ratted you out, bud. Sorry about that, you know? Yeah. Police rushed to the Hadley's home, noting three cars parked in the driveway. Officers saw one light on in the house and able to see one man pacing in the house, throwing books around. Police knocked on the door with no response. The second time, no answer. Police then rushed the house and find a room with a lot of scattered furniture. Blood-soaked towels lined the inside like a barrier. 
They then moved two dining chairs, and that's where they found Blake Hadley's body. Continuing to search, they stumble upon the family dog locked inside the closet. Officers picked up more furniture and papers scattered in this room only to find Mary Jo's body. The police reports said that both victims were laying face down with towels wrapped around their heads. Mary Jo was closest to the bed while Blake lie closest to the door. When examiners removed the towels from the victims, open wounds were found on the sides and backs of their heads. They had wounds on their backs, and between the victims laid a waffle print wooden hammer that was consistent with the wounds found on their bodies. So there's so many elements to this that are striking to me. Like, number one, I can't imagine being a police officer and you're called like a house party. Like, you get this anonymous tip, but like how many anonymous tips, things like that, do you get when you're a a police officer that maybe pan out to be nothing? So you go to this house where you know that there's a house party going on and kids are kind of raging. And then this is the scene that you find because it, you know, as you're going through it, it sounds like all those towels were lined up to kind of catch any pooling blood and to make sure that, you know, nothing was leaking out anywhere. And there's just this room where, you know, he's just beating his parents to death and just kind of closed the door behind him. Like nothing happened. I love my mom, you know, and my mom gets on my nerves. I get on her nerves, which I'm sure is, you know, the same for you. And, and I think it's just part of that relationship that you have as a a parent and a child. I can never imagine doing something like that. And more so, I can never imagine being so callous about it. Just being like, I'll just leave her in the room and put some towels down and let's have some beers. You know what I mean? It just, it doesn't make sense to me. I agree with you. Like this morning, I usually call my mom every morning on my way to work. And this morning I felt guilty not calling her. So I called her this afternoon when I left work. But same, like you have your ups and downs with your relationship with your, with your mom or your dad. And you know, I still, no matter what they what they do, I could never imagine even having the thought cross my mind to kill my parents. I mean, the thought did just cross my mind because we're talking about it. But like in general, you know, I would never think about that. Yeah. And I mean, I know like, you know, when I was younger, you know, like, God, I, you know, I, I, I just, I'm so mad I could kill you. You know what I mean? Like something, yeah. you know, like the teenage angst. You know, oh, or, you just need to ask my mom how, how Olivia was when she was a 15, 16-year-old girl. We should have her on with, the podcast. We had a real fun time. <laughs> teenage and mom. My teenage years and my mom were real fun. I know that we've had the conversation about, you know, what is it going to be like when Millie's like 14, 15, and, you know, is it going to be like... going to be sweet as pie. Yeah, I don't know. She's learning how to lie now. Uh-oh. Which has been oh, very interesting. Well, let me teach you my mom's secret, and then we'll get back to the story. So my mom always taught me, if I'm asking you about it, chances are I already know the answers. So if my mom asked me about something, I never lied to her because she told me if she's asking me about it, she likely already knows the answer. You know how many times I told on myself? All the time. Oh, All dude. the time I told on myself. All the time. And then I didn't find out that I did it until I was like 21 and older. She was like, oh, yeah, I didn't know about that. Oh, now you tell me. But it worked. Worked like a charm. So police arrest 17-year-old Tyler Hadley for the murder of his parents, Blake and Mary Jo Hadley, on July 17, 2011, just the day after this party and the murder. During his time in prison, he sat down for a three-hour interview with the state psychologist. Tyler said that he really doesn't like himself that much, and when he was asked why, he replied, I don't know, I never really did. He stated that he regretted the offenses, not just for him, but for everyone else. 
So I want to talk about this for a minute because this was in an interview, um, one of the interview clips that I watched uh, trying to research and get some information. And I thought it was odd that he says that he regretted the offenses and not he regretted murdering his parents. Like he used it as if it was some sort of general term and not exactly what he did. It seems like, and again, I haven't watched the interview, but just in like the quotes here, you know, I wonder if it's a case of like lacking empathy, you know, or if Mm -hmm. there was maybe some kind of untreated mental illness, because as we're going through it, it doesn't sound like there's anything that is like, this is the crazy childhood trauma, right? It sounds like he was a pretty normal kid or pretty normal upbringing. So I wonder if there was some undiagnosed mental health issues or, you know, maybe something going on that just wasn't treated correctly. Yeah, just but, more than the depression. But there's there's quotes of him talking about how he felt the devil was inside of him. So I wonder, like you said, there's got to be some more layers to his mental illness than just depression and anxiety. Yeah, if you're thinking the devil's inside of you, that's definitely like a level of psychosis. Like you need mm-hmm. to be put somewhere and figure out what's going on, you know? Yeah. And I'm sure as a parent, if you see that it, or... It, if that's being shared with you, it's probably hard to get to a place where you can be like, oh, my son needs serious help. Yeah, especially when they're teenagers, because we're all going through those fluctuations and our mood swings and all the hormones and everything. He recalls looking at himself in the mirror and laughing and remembering being all bloody after the murders happened. He says that he continues to have a reoccurring dream of walking into his parents' home and knowing that his parents are dead in the bathroom. He says that he feels scared. He'll get chills. He'll wake up with goosebumps. But he says that in the dream, he never actually walks into the bathroom, which I wonder why he dreams about the bathroom, because he killed them in different areas and there was nothing mentioned of a bathroom. So I wonder if that's just something, a part of a memory or something that shows up in in this dream. Yeah. Or I also wonder like what his mental state was at the time of committing the crime where, you know, that's just how his brain remembers it or puts it together. Because, you know, memory is a super weird thing. He had taken several ecstasy pills, so he was definitely on drugs at the time of the murder. Yeah, and I know, you know, I mean, I don't know firsthand, but I am aware of the fact that, like, you know, if you take too much of something like that, like, it can induce a psychotic break. Mm -hmm. If you're rolling balls, you know, and you push the limits, you don't know who you're going to become, you know. And I'm sure that, you know, if you do that enough and push yourself to that limit, like you can change yourself as a person. You know, it's like rewiring your brain. He told psychologists that he wished that he knew his parents as people and not just as mom and dad. He feels like now that he knows people that are his parents' age, he said that he thought that if he would have talked to his parents about the issues he was having, that maybe they would have had a better connection and it wouldn't have been such a black and white mom and dad and child and more of a a healthier relationship where they could offer advice and help him through these situations. Tyler at the time of the murders was getting into a lot of trouble for everything. And so that's when he said the ideas of killing his parents started and they became more frequent and it became more of an obsession and that the thoughts couldn't leave his mind. And he thought that killing his parents would solve all of his problems. So that kind of goes back to what you were talking about. If you're on so many drugs or at a certain level that you can have this mental break and this psychosis happening. So I wonder if he was always constantly having these negative thoughts about murdering his parents that in this moment, you know, maybe he just thought about it and had mentioned it to people, but never thought he would actually act upon it. So I wonder if that played a role in the night that he murdered his parents. 
Yeah, and I mean, I think to some extent, right, like when you look at a normal teenager, to some extent, seeing your parents is almost like the villain or like the force in your life that's like, you can't do this or you're in trouble for doing this or, you know, you need to be more responsible. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think that's a normal thing for normal teenagers. And again, I don't know how much he was using. I know that you described that he had taken several tabs of ecstasy and that's a lot. You know what I mean? So when you have those normal feelings and then you're adding something to it, especially, you know, Xanax, which is a downer or, you know, ecstasy, which is just messing with your brain in ways that, you know, last forever. I'm sure it's easy for those normal teenage feelings to kind of morph into something else. And, and especially if there's an underlying mental illness, I'm sure it's easy to then have those obsessive compulsive thoughts that are like, it's just in my brain. It won't go away. It won't go away. It won't go away. You know? Yeah. So I think that's what happened. And in his mind, his plan was to kill his parents and then kill himself um, by carbon monoxide poisoning. He was going to go lock himself in the garage and kill himself after he committed the murders. But instead, he threw a raging party and invited 50 to 60 people to his house. They wanted one big bash before he went out, you know? Yeah, apparently so. So I almost wonder that if Michael never told on him, if he would have at the end of the party, you know, maybe as he's coming down off his drugs, if he would have you know, went through with his plan of killing himself. Yeah. I mean, in some ways, Michael, you know, probably saved his life, even if it's, you know, for him to be in prison, which I'm sure that this is where this is going. So, yeah. So in 2014, Tyler pleaded no contest to two counts of first degree murder and was sentenced to life in prison. But in 2016, the sentencing was overturned by an appeals judge as new national guidelines for how juveniles were sentenced came to fruition. Remember, Tyler was only 17 at the time of the murders. The judge ultimately agreed that he was given the appropriate sentencing. In December 2018, Tyler Hadley was resentenced to life in prison, this time with the judicial review in place, stating that Hadley had 30 days to appeal and is entitled to a judicial review of both life sentences after serving 25 years. This became because they changed the way that the juveniles were, but his sentencing remained the same. And I'm sure that after he has served 25 years, the judges will continue to say the same. Tyler Hadley remains in prison at the Okeechobee Correctional Institution in Florida, which just looks like it's right outside his hometown of St. Lucie, Florida. Well, I guess if you're going to spend time in prison, it's good to be in a prison that's close to where people can visit you and stuff like that. You know what I mean? There's a lot of cases where, you know, somebody commits a crime and they're sent halfway across the state. Not that I, you know, like feel sympathy for him or anything like that, but. This one's hard for me because the kid was 17 at the time and this was 2011. So he's 28 years old now. You know what I mean? He's not even 30. And so it's one of those things where it's like you made your choice. You went through with the actions, but like, are you getting help now? Are you in the same mental state that you were before? Like, is this one of those things where like, if you get the right kind of help and stuff like that, being so young, like, could you be rehabilitated? You know what I mean? It's just interesting to think about. Yeah, and his brother, Ryan, it says that during the time of the murders, like his brother was in college, so he wasn't home. And at the time of sentencing, I think he was in his early 20s. But his brother actually published a book called A Thousand Fireflies, Living the Aftermath of My Parents' Murders. And so it looked like that was released in like 2015. And so, you know, as you're talking about him being in prison next to where he grew up, like... Do you think that he actually has people come visit him? Like, do you think his brother still communicates with him? I mean, he wrote this whole book dealing with, I guess, how he, he dealt with his grief. 
of his brother murdering his parents and I don't I don't know if there if he could be rehabilitated in this situation, you know? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what his extended family life looks like and I don't know, you know, if his brother would be someone who would come and visit him. I do know that, you know, at 17, your frontal lobe isn't fully developed. You're still very much a child. And if you're a child who has some kind of underlying mental illness, anxiety, depression, and then you're just doing a bunch of drugs on top of that, and then something terrible happens, should that define you for the rest of your life? You know, it's an interesting question. And I'm not saying that I am sympathetic to him or that I feel like he shouldn't be in prison or anything like that. But like, you know, it seems like given the right kind of treatment, working through those issues, not doing drugs, you know, it would be interesting to see an interview with him now at 28 years old and to see where he is in that process. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. But the, the interviews that we have are him at like, you know, 17, 18 when he's still like, I'm very much messed up, you know? Yeah, and there's a few things of them showing him because he got resentenced in 2018. So that's fairly recent. And he's completely different. I mean, when you see his side-by-side pictures, it is a child turned into a grown man. So I know deep down he's probably not that same person. But at the end of the day, he still did kill his parents. But I was just so shocked by this when I was doing my research because I had never heard of it. And so I'm just like, I don't understand how someone can just murder their parents. Yeah, I'm there with you. I think this would be a good point to kind of jump into the deadbolt scale. I don't know how you feel about that, but I've been thinking about it as you've been going through the case. And like I said, I think I'm going to rank this kind of high. I am conflicted about it still. But for me, when you first started talking and it was a kid who killed his parents and it's like seemingly out of nowhere, I was like, oh, 10. That's a 10 for me for sure. I'm a parent. I don't want my kid to kill me. Like, you know, like that's a 10. But as we've gone through it and then you learn, you know, he's got depression, he's got anxiety. He doesn't feel like he's good at anything. Then, you know, by 16, he's taken a mad amount of drugs and mm-hmm. several pills of ecstasy. I feel like, I mean, that's a lot of drugs, you know? And I feel like that's enough to put anybody out of their mind or into like an out of body experience, you know? So mm-hmm. As we went through and I kind of learned those things, I think it came down on the scale for me a little bit because luckily, you know, my wife's a therapist and she recognizes mental illness and we try to be very open about how we're feeling. And, you know, if, if you need resources for something like mental health is a, a, a very important thing in our house. So as I learned more about this kid and what was happening, you know, I was like, OK, I don't know if I would ever be in that situation, but I'm still going to put this in Nate. On the deadbolt test for me, it's more of a level of creepiness. And so on a creepy scale, I would say it's high up there like a a nine. But as far as like, you know, it happened to me kind of thing, I don't have that fear. Um, So I would give it about, you know, a four. But it's still very disturbing. And it just goes to show that even though you love someone and care about someone, you can never truly understand what's going on in their mind. And that to me is creepy. Yeah. And I agree. And I don't know if it hits me a little bit different, like as a person who has made a person, you know what I mean? Where you're like, oh, this thing that I made. And that like, when you came into this world and the first time I held you, I looked at you and like my heart melted. Like I knew in that moment I would do anything to protect you. And I loved you more than anything. And I I like you've existed for like five seconds. Yeah. Because that was a big fear for me when Millie was born. I, I had this fear that when she was born, I was going to look at her and not feel anything. 
Because I don't know, you know, I don't know you. You know what I mean? Like, right. And you're not, you haven't had her in your womb for the last nine months. Right. I was afraid I was like going to look at her and be like, you cool, bro? Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> but, but as soon as she came out and I had her in my arms, it was just like instant. Like that, it, that nature of like, I will destroy anything that comes for you. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so to feel that way, because that feeling has only grown. You know, she's she's been on the planet a handful of years and that feeling has only grown and gotten stronger. So to imagine that you have that feeling for somebody that you love this person more than anything or, or, you know, any tangible item or any other person. And that is the person that, you know, just one day picks up a meat tenderizer and is like, sorry, dad. You know, what I mean, that is scary to me. That freaks me out a little bit. So that's why I think I would put it at Nate. It's just that idea. And I think it touches on some of those trends too, where it's like, you know, whether it's a husband or a boyfriend or, you know, the father of your child, it's like there are people out there that are monsters and you just don't know until it's too late, you know? Yeah. And I think more people, when we put this episode out, will have a lot to say and probably relate similar to you in the Facebook group, you know, and just be like, you know, I'm a parent. I I totally agree with John. Whereas me, you know, I just get told that if I die, my cats are going to eat me. So, yeah. But what if like one day you turned around and Eleanor was just behind <laughs> you with a meat cle- or with a meat tenderizer? You know what I mean? You'd be like, you betrayed me. That <laughs> one time I ate your sock. Right. Now I'm going to eat all your socks. Side note, Ellie ate my sock during this episode. <laughs> so that is where we fall on the deadbolt test. I'm going to put it at an eight. Olivia is putting it at a four. But we want to know where does the house party killer Tyler Hadley fall on your deadbolt test? You can let us know by reaching out to us on the socials. You can find us on Instagram at Check the Locks Pod. You can find us on Twitter at Check the Locks. And if you are not in our Facebook group, do yourself a favor and join. There is so much fun stuff happening. All the time. Lauren, very active in our Facebook group, posted an adorable dog picture who just happened to be named John Connor. (laughs) Loved it. People in there sharing. If you listen to last week's episode, people are in there sharing their Peeping Tom personal stories. And there's some Uh, good ones in there. There's some good Peeping Tom stories. really good ones. Uh, And shout out to Megan, who not only told the story, but had the video evidence to prove it. It was extra creepy. So if you want to join in on the fun, you want to hang out with us. We're in there interacting every single day. Join us on the Facebook group. If you pause the show, go into the show description. You'll find the links for Instagram. You'll find the links for Twitter. And you'll find a link. You can click it and join that Facebook group. Olivia, I don't know about you. It was a lot of talk about dead parents. I think I need a palate cleanser. What do you say we read a five-star review? Yeah, we need a little pick-me-up at this time. This week's five-star review comes from True Crime Girl 5 They said, let me start off by saying I've been a fan of all things true crime pretty much all my life. However, I'm very picky and have a hard time finding true crime entertainment that is actually enjoyable. I found this podcast by happenstance and I am, in all caps, obsessed. Finally, a well-researched, highly enjoyable podcast with amazing hosts. I absolutely love the cases that have been discussed so far. Not super well-known cases. I love how the hosts interact with their fans and how they interact with each other on the show. One episode a week is not enough. So thank you, True Crime Girl 05, for leaving us a five-star review. And I wish we had all the time in the world to give y'all more episodes. 
Thank you, True Crime Girl. We appreciate it. That was not only an amazing five-star review, but you went in depth. It was very descriptive. Thank you, because that means that you took time and you wrote out how you were really feeling about the show, and we appreciate it more than you know. As far as the extra content, just keep your pants on, okay? We're working (laughs) on stuff behind the scenes, all right? So be on the lookout for that. We're hoping to be able to announce some more here soon. But again, thank you for the five-star review. Olivia, if someone wants to have their five-star review read on the podcast, how can they do that? Well, they need to hop on over to the Apple Podcast app, scroll down where they see all the five stars, click all five, write what you think, tell us how great we are. No, I'm just kidding about that. But let us know what you think. We really are enjoying reading the reviews and seeing the support that we have. It really means a lot to us. Yes, and True Crime Girl, We would love to send you some stickers, some buttons, some cool stuff for taking the time to leave us that review. We really do appreciate it. Again, you can find us on the socials, Instagram, check the locks pod, Twitter, check the locks, join that Facebook group. Or if you're already in the Facebook group, send us a message. Let us know if you are not a social person, you can head over to check the locks pod.com. Click the email button, send us an email, let us know where to send that. And if you have left us a five-star review, I know I say this every week, But thank you so much from the bottom of our hearts. We truly appreciate it. Those reviews help us get featured in other shows, helps us grow our audience, our community. And this community is something that we truly love. I was talking to someone the other day and was like, yeah, it sounds like your listeners are really engaged with what you're doing. And I was like, I don't look at these people that are hanging out with us as listeners. This is like a community. This is our own weird little family. You know what I mean? And I absolutely love it. So Uh, If you have left us a five-star review, thank you. If you have not, again, Apple Podcasts, five stars. Olivia told you the whole thing, how to do it. Leave that review. And the only other thing, John, that you're missing is a voicemail. Leave us a voicemail. I love voicemails. Yeah, please leave us a voicemail. Every week, Olivia's like, do we get a voicemail? Breaks my heart for a minute because I know that I'm going to let her down. And I want to like come in one week and be like, we have six of them. We've got six voicemails. (laughs) We're going to play them all. Yes. Yes. If y'all leave me voicemails, I think my voice might come back. I'm going to bribe y'all. Voicemails for voice. Yeah. If you want to leave us a voicemail again, head over to checkthelockspod.com. You can click the little microphone in the bottom right-hand corner. Leave us a voicemail message. We would love to play it on the show. Or, hey, here's a hack. Pause the show, go into the description. There's a link right there. You can leave us a voicemail there as well. So we would love to hear them. That is it. This is episode 19, Olivia. We are one episode away from 20. Can you believe it? I cannot. And we're only 13 people away from having 500 members in the Facebook group. If you are not in the Facebook group, do yourself a favor and join. Come hang out with us. There are some amazing memes in there. We play games. We uh, posted a meme today that was if you were kidnapped, what would they return you for? And there are some amazing answers in there. It's so much fun. So we would love to be able to hang out with you and interact with everybody every day so so yeah it's kind of crazy we're coming up on 20 episodes we've got an amazing bunch of people that we get to hang out with virtually and again be on the lookout because we do have some stuff cooking on the back end that we can't talk about yet but we're (laughs) excited to get to it and jump into it and, and let you guys know what we have going on so that is it for this week's episode join us again next week as we dive into yet another truly terrifying true crime case but until then don't forget to check the locks See you next week.